Prince Caspian by C.S. Lewis. Chapter 7 Old Narnia in Danger. The place where they had met the fawns was, of course, Dancing Lawn itself, and here Caspian and his friends remained till the night of the Great Council. To sleep under the stars, to drink nothing but well water, and to live chiefly on nuts and wild fruit was a strange experience for Caspian after his bed with silken sheets in a tapestried chamber at the castle, with meals laid out on gold and silver dishes in the ante room, and attendants ready at his call. But he had never enjoyed himself more, never had sleep been more refreshing, nor food tasted more savory, and he began already to harden, and his face wore a kinglier look. When the great night came, and his various strange subjects came stealing into the lawn by ones and twos and threes, or by sixes and sevens, the moon then shining almost at her full, his heart swelled as he saw their numbers and heard their greetings. All whom he had met were there, bulgy bears and red dwarves and black dwarves, moles and badgers, hares and hedgehogs, and others whom he had not yet seen, five satyrs as red as foxes, the whole contingent of talking mice, armed to the teeth and following a shrill trumpet, some owls, the old raven of Ravenscar, Last of all, and this took Caspian's breath away, with the centaurs came a small but genuine giant, Wimbleweather of Dead Men's Hill, carrying on his back a basketful of rather seasick dwarves who had accepted his offer of a lift and were now wishing they had walked instead. The bulgy bears were very anxious to have the feast first and leave the council till afterward, perhaps till tomorrow. Reepicheep and his mice said that councils and feasts could both wait, and proposed storming Miraz in his own castle that very night. Pattertwig and the other squirrels said they could talk and eat at the same time, so why not have the council and feast all at once? The moles proposed throwing up entrenchments round the lawn before they did anything else. The fawns thought it would be better to begin with a solemn dance. The old raven, while agreeing with the bears that it would take too long to have a full council before supper, begged to be allowed to give a brief address to the whole company. But Caspian and the centaurs and the dwarves overruled all these suggestions and insisted on holding a real council of war at once. When all the other creatures had been persuaded to sit down quietly in a great circle, and when, with more difficulty, they had got Pattertwig to stop running to and fro and saying, Silence! Silence, everyone, for the king's speech! Caspian, feeling a little nervous, got up. Narnians, he began. But he never got any further, for at that very moment, Camillo the hare said, Hush! There's a man somewhere near. They were all creatures of the wild, accustomed to being hunted, and they all became still as statues. The beasts all turned their noses in the direction which Camillo had indicated. Smells like a man, and yet not like man, whispered Truffle Hunter. It's getting steadily nearer, said Camillo. Two badgers and you three dwarfs, with your bows at the ready, go softly off to meet it, said Caspian. We'll settle them, said a black dwarf grimly, fitting a shaft to his bowstring. Don't shoot if it is alone, said Caspian. Catch it. Why? asked the dwarf. Do as you're told, said Glenstorm the centaur. Everyone waited in silence while the three dwarves and two badgers trotted stealthily across to the trees on the northwest side of the lawn. Then came a sharp dwarfish cry. Stop! Who goes there? In a sudden spring, 
A moment later, a voice, which Caspian knew well, could be heard saying, All right, all right, I'm unarmed. Take my wrists if you like, worthy badgers, but don't bite right through them. I want to speak to the king. Dr. Cornelius, cried Caspian with joy, and rushed forward to greet his old tutor. Everyone else crowded round. Pah, said Nickabrick, a renegade dwarf, a half and halfer. Shall I pass my sword through its throat? Be quiet, Nickabrick, said Trumpkin. The creature can't help its ancestry. This is my great friend and the saviour of my life, said Caspian, and anyone who doesn't like his company may leave my army at once. Dearest doctor, I am glad to see you again. However did you find us out? By a little use of simple magic, your majesty, said the doctor, who was still puffing and blowing from having walked so fast. But there's no time to go into that now. We must all fly from this place at once. You are already betrayed and Merez is on the move. Before midday tomorrow, you will be surrounded. Betrayed, said Caspian. And by whom? Another renegade dwarf, no doubt, said Nickabrick. By your horse, Destier, said Dr. Cornelius. The poor brute knew no better. When you were knocked off, of course, he went dawdling back to his stable in the castle. Then the secret of your flight was known. I made myself scarce, having no wish to be questioned about it in Maris's torture chamber. I had a pretty good guess from my crystal as to where I should find you. But all day, that was the day before yesterday, I saw Mirez's tracking parties out in the woods. Yesterday I learned that his army is out. I don't think some of your, um, pure-blooded dwarves has as much wardcraft as might be expected. You've left tracks all over the place. Great carelessness. At any rate... Something has warned Mirez that old Narnia is not so dead as he had hoped, and he is on the move. Hurrah, said a very shrill and small voice from somewhere at the doctor's feet. Let them come. All I ask is that the king will put me and my people in the front. What on earth, said Dr. Cornelius, has your majesty got grasshoppers or mosquitoes in your army? Then, after stooping down and peering carefully through his spectacles, he broke into a laugh. By the lion, he swore. It's a mouse. Senor Mouse, I desire your better acquaintance. I am honored by meeting so valiant a beast. My friendship you shall have, learned man, piped Reepicheep, and any dwarf or giant in the army who does not give you good language shall have my sword to reckon with. Is there time for this foolery? said Nickabrick. What are our plans, battle or flight? battle if need be said trumpkin but we are hardly ready for it yet and this is no very defensible place i don't like the idea of running away said caspian hear him hear him said the bulgy bears whatever we do don't let's have any running especially not before supper and not too soon after it either those who run first do not always run last said the centaur and why should we let the enemy choose our position instead of choosing it ourselves? Let us find a strong place. That's wise, your majesty, that's wise, said Truffle Hunter. But where are we to go? asked several voices. Your majesty, said Dr. Cornelius, and all you variety of creatures, I think we must fly east and down the river to the great woods. The Telmarines hate that region. 
They have always been afraid of the sea and of something that may come over the sea. That is why they have let the great woods grow up. If traditions speak true, ancient Ker Peravel was at the river mouth. All that part is friendly to us and hateful to our enemies. We must go to Aslan's Howe. Aslan's Howe, said several voices. We do not know what it is. It lies within the skirts of the great woods, and it is a huge mound which Narnians raised in very ancient times over a very magical place, where there stood, and perhaps still stands, a very magical stone. The mound is all hollowed out within it, into galleries and caves, and the stone is on the central cave of all. There is room in the mound for all our stores, and those of us who have most need of cover and are most accustomed to underground life can be lodged in the caves. The rest of us can lie in the wood. At a pinch, all of us, except this worthy giant, could retreat into the mound itself, and there we should be beyond the reach of every danger except famine. It is a good thing we have a learned man among us, said Truffle Hunter, but Trumpkin muttered under his breath, Soup and celery. I wish our leaders would think less about these old wives' tales, more about victuals and arms. But all approved of Cornelius's proposal, and that very night, half an hour later, they were on the march. Before sunrise, they arrived at Aslan's Howe. It was certainly an awesome place, a round green hill on top of another hill, long since grown over with trees, and one little low doorway leading into it. The tunnels inside were a perfect maze till you got to know them. They were lined and roofed with smooth stones, and on the stones, peering in the twilight, Caspian saw strange characters and snaky patterns, and pictures in which the form of a lion was repeated again and again. It all seemed to belong to an even older Narnia than the Narnia of which his nurse had told him. It was after they had taken up their quarters in and around the How that fortune began to turn against them. King Miraz's scouts soon found their new lair, and he and his army arrived on the edge of the woods. And as so often happens, the enemy turned out stronger than they had reckoned. Caspian's heart sank as he saw company after company arriving. And though Miraz's men may have been afraid of going into the wood, they were even more afraid of Miraz. And with him in command, they carried battle deeply into it, and sometimes almost to the how itself. Caspian and the other captains, of course, made many sorties into the open country. Thus, there was fighting on most days, and sometimes by night as well. But Caspian's party had on the whole the worst of it. At last there came a night when everything had gone as badly as possible, and the rain, which had been falling heavily all day, had ceased at nightfall, only to give place to raw cold. That morning Caspian had arranged what was his biggest battle yet, and all had hung their hopes on it. He, with most of the dwarves, was to have fallen on the king's right wing at daybreak, and then, when they were heavily engaged, giant Wimbleweather, with the centaurs and some of the fiercest beasts, was to have broken out from another place and endeavored to cut the king's right off from the rest of the army. But it had all failed. No one had warned Caspian, because no one in these latter days of Narnia remembered that giants are not at all clever. Poor Wimbleweather, though as brave as a lion, was a true giant in that respect. He had broken out at the wrong time and from the wrong place, and both his party and Caspian's had suffered badly and done the enemy little harm. The best of the bears had been hurt, a centaur terribly wounded, and there were few in Caspian's party who had not lost blood. It was a gloomy company that huddled 
under the dripping trees to eat their scanty supper. The gloomiest of all was giant Wimbleweather. He knew it was all his fault. He sat in silence, shedding big tears which collected on the end of his nose and then fell off with a huge splash on the whole bivouac of the mice, who had just been beginning to get warm and drowsy. They all jumped up, shaking the water out of their ears and wringing their little blankets, and asked the giant in shrill but forcible voices whether he thought they weren't wet enough without this sort of thing. And then other people woke up and told the mice they had been enrolled as scouts and not as a concert party, and asked why they couldn't keep quiet. And Wimbleweather tiptoed away to find some place where he could be miserable in peace and stepped on somebody's tail and somebody, they say afterward it was a fox, bit him. And so everyone was out of temper. But in the secret and magical chamber at the heart of the how, King Caspian with Cornelius and the Badger and Nickabrick and Trumpkin were at council. Thick pillars of ancient workmanship supported the roof. In the center was the stone itself. A stone table split right down the center and covered with what had once been writing of some kind. But ages of wind and rain and snow had almost worn them away in old times when the stone table had stood on the hilltop and the mound had not yet been built above it. They were not using the table nor sitting around it. It was too magic a thing for any common use. They sat on logs a little way from it, and between them was a rough wooden table on which stood a rude clay lamp lighting up their pale faces and throwing big shadows on the wall. If your majesty is ever to use the horn, said Truffle Hunter, I think the time has come now. Caspian had of course told them of his treasure several days ago. You are certainly in great need, answered Caspian, but it is hard to be sure if we are at our greatest. Supposing there came an even worse need, and we had already used it. By that argument, said Nickabrick, your majesty will never use it until it is too late. I agree with that, said Dr. Cornelius. And what do you think, Trumpkin? asked Caspian. Oh, as for me, said the red dwarf, who had been listening with complete indifference. Your majesty knows I think the horn, and that bit of broken stone over there, your great King Peter and your lion Aslan are all eggs in moonshine. It's all one to me when your majesty blows the horn. All I insist on is that the army is told nothing about it. There's no good raising hopes of magical help, which, as I think, are sure to be disappointed. Then, in the name of Aslan, we will wind Queen Susan's horn, said Caspian. There is one thing, sire, said Dr. Cornelius, that should perhaps be done first. We do not know what form the help will take. It might call Aslan himself from oversea, but I think it is more likely to call Peter the High King and his mighty consorts down from the high past. But, in either case, I do not think we can be sure that the help will come to this very spot. You never said a truer word, put in Trumpkin. I think, went on the learned man, that they or he will come back to one or other of the ancient places of Narnia. This, where we now sit, is the most ancient and most deeply magical of all, and here, I think, the answer is likeliest to come. But there are two others. One is Lantern Waste, upriver, west of Beaversdam, where the royal children first appeared in Narnia as the records tell. The other is down at the river mouth, where their castle of Caer Paravel once stood. 
and if Aslan himself comes, that would be the best place for meeting him too, for every story says that he is the son of the great emperor over the sea, and over the sea he will pass. I should like very much to send messengers to both places, to Lantern Waste and the river mouth, to receive them, or him, or it. Just as I thought, muttered Trumpkin, the first result of all this foolery is not to bring us help, but to lose us two fighters. Who would you think of sending, Dr. Cornelius? asked Caspian. Squirrels are best for getting through enemy territory without being caught, said Truffle Hunter. All our squirrels, and we haven't many, said Nickelbrick, are rather flighty. The only one I'd trust on a job like that would be Pattertwig. Let it be Pattertwig, then, said King Caspian. And who for our other messenger? I know you'd go, Truffle Hunter, but you haven't the speed, nor you, Dr. Cornelius. I won't go, said Nickelbrick. With all these humans and beasts about, there must be a dwarf here to see that the dwarves are fairly treated. Thumbles and thunderstorms, cried Trumpkin in a rage. Is that how you speak to the king? Send me, sire. I'll go. But I thought you didn't believe in the horn, Trumpkin, said Caspian. No more I do, your majesty. But what's that got to do with it? I might as well die on a wild goose chase as die here. You are my king. I know the difference between giving advice and taking orders. You've had my advice, and now it's time for orders. I will never forget this, Trumpkin, said Caspian. Send for Pattertwig, one of you. And when shall I blow the horn? I would wait for sunrise, your majesty, said Dr. Cornelius. That sometimes has an effect on operations of white magic. A few minutes later, Pattertwig arrived and had his task explained to him. As he was, like many squirrels, full of courage and dash and energy and excitement and mischief, not to say conceit, he no sooner heard it than he was eager to be off. It was arranged that he should run for Lantern Waste, while Trumpkin made the shorter journey to the river mouth. After a hasty meal, they both set off with the fervent thanks and good wishes of the king, the badger, and Cornelius. Thank you.